this mountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made
All right, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Let's take our song handouts there, page 228. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the door today just kind of keep our distance as an extra precaution but uh, it is good to be back here in church today I love to tell the story what a great hymn you know when we think about this we all know that it's our responsibility as Christians to witness to people to try to get people saved and yet the devil comes along and complicates it and makes us think that we have to memorize a system or a road or whatever Uh, Sometimes we think, well, I don't have an answer for any question that they might give. You know what? Sometimes we just got to quit worrying about having all of the answers because we never will be. And just focus on loving to tell the story. If we would get excited about the story of Christ on the cross of Calvary, if you're saved, you know everything that you need to know in order to witness to others. And you know what? Even if you don't know very much of the Bible, you tell people about Jesus Christ and you watch how that the Lord blesses that. Let's continue on this great hymn, I Love to Tell the Story, on the second verse.
But uh, first of all, I appreciate everyone who's been praying for my daughter, Anna. I'm sure most of you know that she has had a full-blown case of COVID, and uh, I think she's about nine, getting close to 10 days into it, and starting to feel better, but still not feeling good. And then I appreciate you praying for my wife. I'm glad that she can be here today. She's been uh, battling a case of shingles, and not a serious outbreak as far as rash and, and all that, but she's had some nerve pain, and uh, she just uh, just hasn't felt well. And so please continue to pray for her. 
Uh, Brother Jerry, I'm sure you can appreciate that and pray for her. And she's also thankful that she hasn't had the kind of case that you've had. <laughs> and probably many others here as well, you've uh, battled that shingle thing and not something that uh, any of you want. I certainly don't want to have it. But uh, do appreciate everyone who filled in while we were quarantining, uh, Brother Glenn, Brother Terry, Brother Ben, Brother James, uh, Sister Alpha filling in on the piano, as well as Sister Shannon filling in for the ladies' prayer meeting last night, and uh, we appreciate everyone who is uh, so faithful and to step up and uh, help out when uh, the, the regular people aren't able to, um, to do what they're uh, supposed to do. Uh, by way of announcements, uh, this afternoon at 6, we'll have our evening service, and then Wednesday, we'll have our Bible study at 7, as well as Master Club and the teen group. Saturday at noon, street ministry, weather permitting. And then uh, this coming Saturday, our prayer meeting will be back to normal, ladies at 7 and the men at 8. And so if you showed up here last night at 8 o'clock for men's prayer, then you were probably disappointed because we had it the first Saturday of every month. We're doing it at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, got a good report on the amount of people that showed up yesterday, and I know that with COVID and then me not being there and several others, uh, it would have been a really, really good turnout, and some of the, the regular and faithful Men weren't able to be there, but there was a handful of you that uh, aren't normally at prayer meeting that came yesterday morning, and I cannot begin to say how that encouraged me when uh, when I heard about that. And so uh, let's uh, continue to be faithful to prayer, because our nation and uh, each other, we certainly do need prayer. And then next Sunday, in case you're not aware, is Super Bowl Sunday, and we have something really really special plan for next Sunday evening, we're going to have church. So just thought that I'd announce that. All right, <laughs> Brother Glenn. <laughs> All right, take your song handouts. Last song here, 343. Revive us again, 343.
may be seated. keep getting better and better. What a blessing. What a joy. Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't like missing church. I, 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 I appreciated the live stream services last Sunday to be able to tune in to both services and uh, heard some good messages. All the men did a great job and uh, wasn't able, we didn't do live stream on Wednesday, but Brother James, I heard that that went extremely well, and so we appreciate all of that. But seriously, I don't know how uh, people um, make it a habit of just missing church and kind of hit and miss whether they're going to be in church. I, I missed one Sunday and one Wednesday, and I just feel so out of my element. It's just weird. My, my brain's not, well, my brain doesn't work well to begin with, but uh, add, uh, add uh, uh, an additional challenge to that. But Anyhow, it's just kind of hard to get back in the groove, and I feel very, uh, very awkward here this morning, but I do have a message that I believe will be a huge help to you here today, and so uh, please take your Bibles and go to a very familiar chapter of the Word of God found in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Hebrews, chapter number 11. I... Um, 
I will certainly be glad if and when we get past all of this pandemic, endemic, I don't even know what they're calling it now, but I don't like to quarantine. But uh, uh, out of charity and protection of others, uh, I feel that uh, it's the right thing to do. And uh, But I tell you what, I... I don't like quarantining. I just I like to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But um, anyhow, it, it was still a good week. I enjoyed the time with my family. I hardly even saw Anna. We just basically locked her up in her room down the hall, and so she had her bedroom and her bathroom. And literally for the first three or four days of it, I never saw her face, not one bit. And uh, my wife would leave her food at the beginning of the hallway, and uh, she'd even wear a mask when she got anywhere near the foyer in the hallway. And so uh, I'd holler at her down the hall, good night, Anna, I love you. And, but um, anyhow, uh, thankfully, looks like maybe this is the second time that Anna's had it, but the second time, Lord willing, that my wife and I have escaped uh, catching it ourselves. Uh, we were talking just the other day that wouldn't it be nice if we both had it, but it, we were asymptomatic. I mean, we quarantined anyway, so we're not going to give it to anybody else. But, you know, if, if I'm going to have it, I kind of like that asymptomatic idea, don't you? I mean, just uh, um, doesn't sound like something that uh, I want to get and certainly not something that I want to give. All right, book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Uh, let's... Uh, begin reading, and I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, and uh, I don't know if I'll make this part of the way that I preach, but I'd like to do it here today. I know Brother uh, Ben Smoker did it last Sunday, but would you please stand as we read the Word of God here this morning? Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, Yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I want to start this morning, and I don't know how many weeks that we'll focus on this subject, but this morning's message, I want to talk to you on the doctrine of faith. Let's pray, and then we'll be seated. Father, thank You for the Word of God, and thank You for faith. Lord, I realize that too often we end up walking by sight and not by faith, and uh, faith is certainly nothing that's natural to human nature, but we thank you, Lord, that you're a faithful God and that you certainly do uh, bless and you're a rewarder of those that believe in you. And I pray, Father, that you'd bless us now as we 
study this doctrine. We pray that this doctrine would be uh, edifying, instructional, and helpful in, uh, in each and every way. Uh, bless us with your presence, Lord, for without your presence, Lord, nothing of any eternal value will be accomplished. We pray if someone here and someone listening is without Christ as their Savior, Lord, use something that's going to be said here today to, uh, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. The doctrine of faith. By way of introduction, I'd like to start just by talking about the necessity of basics. I've always been, my style of preaching has always been kind of like when I would coach young people in sports. Uh, Always, I've always focused on the basics, the fundamentals. Uh, I've always felt like that whatever we're doing, that there are certain fundamentals and basics that should always take the front row seat, and yet... uh, just a casual observation will show all of us that modern Christianity is all about fluff and very little about substance. The other day, um, I sold my wood lathe, and uh, I, I sure appreciate Brother Gene Teague, um, or excuse me, Brother Ray Teague. I don't know why I just messed that up. I knew a guy that I worked with by the name of Gene, and it just came out. Brother Ray Teague, who used to be a church member here, and uh, I certainly appreciate the woodwork that he does. He is a master on the wood lathe. I've seen some of his work. He showed me some pictures of uh, other work, and the wood lathe just wasn't my thing. I guess it's kind of more of an artsy thing. I'm more of a uh, builder and uh, it just, I don't know, it just wasn't something that I gravitated toward. And so I've had this wood lathe for probably over 20 years. My wife bought it for me for birthday or Christmas when we still lived in Idaho. And literally, I've used this tool, and it's a big tool, and it just takes up room in my shop. I probably used it uh, half a dozen times at the most. And uh, most of that wasn't actually to make something, it was to repair something. So to make a long story short, we sold it. And so there was a gentleman that came by the house and picked it up for his friend who purchased it. And so we loaded it up and he was asking questions about my shop. And he just seemed like a nice, really, really nice young man, lives in Winston-Salem. And uh, we we started talking. I told him that I was a pastor and... Um, a lot of times I'll mention that and just kind of see how they respond to that. And he didn't really say a whole lot, but as he got ready to leave, he was getting into his pickup and he said, you're a pastor. He said, could I have three minutes of your time? I've got a question for you. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't have time to. And I said, absolutely. I said, you can have all the time that you want. And so we began to talk, and he had some Bible questions and some things that he was dealing with. And so uh, I began to ask him questions about his testimony. And, you know, when he asked me some Bible questions, I asked him, I said, now, I said, I can give you some answers to this, but I need to know, are you familiar with your Bible? You know, can I just tell you, uh, or do I need to actually show you out, you know, get a Bible and show you? And he said, no, I'm familiar with my Bible. And the more that we talked, the more that I recognized that this was a genuine Bible-believing Christian. He went to a Baptist church in Winston, 
And you know what? It was so refreshing to have a conversation with a fellow believer who actually believed in substance in the Christian life rather than just all of the fluff and certainly more than the, you know, pull the string, the canned response. Are, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, of course I am. And, and some, I get so weary of that. And, and somebody that answers that way, um, you just think maybe they're, they're missing something or maybe they, they don't even know what they're talking about. They just uh, are trying to answer the right way rather than the honest and sincere way. But it was so refreshing. And uh, it just seems like those type of conversations with professing believers are fewer and further between. And why is that? I'll tell you the reason is because in churches today, we've gotten away from the fundamentals, the basics. When you lose the fundamentals, you become very much in one flavor or another, you become a Pharisee. And yes, indeed, there are many flavors of Phariseeism. In Matthew 23, verse number 23, the Lord said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have, watched this, omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, certainly, mercy is something that the modern Christian will put some emphasis on, and they are very merciful toward uh, worldly living Christians, but they're not very merciful toward separated, sanctified, Bible-believing Christians. And if you've ever talked to one and you've uh, uh, started to discuss Bible matters and especially issues of sanctification, uh, you found that out for yourself. But notice that the Lord says the weightier matters, the fundamentals, the things that are the most important are judgment, mercy, and faith. And, and, and the average person today would say, well, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, preacher. I thought that the Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. I thought that we weren't supposed to be critical of anybody. And the fact of the matter is, is judge not that you be not judged is a scriptural principle, but it doesn't mean what people think it means today. I don't have time to tell you what it means. You'll have to look that up. But if you'll do an honest study of the word judgment in the Word of God, you will find that nowhere is God saying to the Christian that we're not supposed to make judgments. Listen, if you're not supposed to make a judgment, then please do not drive your vehicle. I don't want to be out there on the road. Or if you drive your vehicle, please let everybody in this church and everybody that I know know that you're on the road so that we can stay off of the road. I certainly hope that you make judgments when you get behind the wheel of your vehicle. And the same thing goes in life. We are supposed to make judgments. And yes, even the Word of God teaches that we're supposed to make judgments about other people. We're just not supposed to judge them as far as casting sentence. That's the, that's the judge's place, okay? But we still are to, to discern between right and wrong. Today's Pharisee looks like the total opposite of the Pharisee in the day of Jesus. 
Now, if you put yourself in the religious setting of Christ's day, then the people, the more that someone was zealous of the law, then the more glory and the more fame that they got. I mean, people would be patting them on the back if they not only tithed of their money and their cattle and all that, but they go to the spice cabinet. And I mean, they would literally tithe out of everything. And at the heart of the Pharisee is he was trying to be superior to what everybody else was being. And you know, the fact of the matter is, is the modern Christian today has the same heart. It all comes down to self-satisfaction and self-glory. That's the heart and that's the motive of a Pharisee. And in Christ's day, to be overly zealous of religion, that's what got them glory, to pray a long time. But nowadays, the, the whole culture has changed and now you become, you get that glory if you can be Christian and still be cool. I mean, you don't have to be totally wicked, but you don't want to be different. You don't want to stand out. You just kind of want, you want to make sure that the world looks at your life and says, wow, that's, that's really cool. I think I'd like to be like that. And nowhere in the Word of God do you find that that is the Christian lifestyle that the Lord endorses. Uh, Paul said that we're the filth and the offscouring of all things unto this day. Jesus said that, um, that they're going to persecute you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. And of course, Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so definitely the Pharisee of today is a reverse Pharisee. And it kind of reminds me of we're in the last days, like uh, what Brother Ben said and uh, last week. Certainly, I, I believe that with all of my heart. But Jeremiah 5, verse number 31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. What does that mean, to bear rule by their means? Well, whatever means that they had. If they had the means to threaten somebody to conform to what they wanted them to do, then they would do that. If all they knew to get their way was to bribe someone or tell them what they wanted to hear, then as long as the desired result is obtained, then that priest didn't care. You know, you look at so many ministries today that literally have thousands and thousands of people attending church. Listen, during quarantine, I, I flipped on a couple of the, the famous big-time contemporary preachers of today. I just kind of wanted to see, has, has their message changed? What, what, what's up with the, you know, it's been a while since I've watched them. I'm not going to tell you who I was listening to. But I, I, I listen to the message and I just think, what is wrong with people? How can anybody who is saved has the Holy Ghost of God living inside of them has ever even read a couple of chapters of the Word of God, how can they listen to that and not discern that that is a wolf in sheep's clothing? It's not Scripture. And yet thousands upon thousands, and they show the congregation, and you just think, wow, how can so many people 
be that blind and that deceived? Well, just like in Jeremiah's day, and my people love to have it so. And so Jeremiah says, and what will ye do in the end thereof? You know, just because something's big and popular and mainstream, that doesn't mean that it's going to survive the test of time. There is a judgment that is coming. There's a great white throne of judgment in which every sinner will be judged. And if you are a believer, praise the Lord, our sins are not going to be judged at the great white throne of judgment. But I will say this, we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's going to be a huge fire and our whole life's going to go, going to be purified with that fire and only the gold and the silver and the precious stones are going to survive. I submit to you here this morning that the the building, the materials that are mainstream Christianity today are wood, hay, and stubble. And when that day comes, they're just going to, they're just going to add fuel to God's bonfire. And uh, whether they're saved or not, I'll let God sort that out. But the fact of the matter is, is when you lose the fundamentals, you become at heart just like the Pharisee. We read here in the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews is doctrinally written to the apostate Jew with the intent of bringing them to repentance. Now, the church seems to share a lot of similarities today to the apostate Jew. Hebrews 5, verse number 12 says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Hey, what is Paul saying to the Hebrews? He's saying you need to get back to the basics, the fundamentals. You need to know the doctrines of the word of God, and you need to base your life and your practice upon those doctrines. We see so many similarities in end-time Christianity to the Hebrews whom God is admonishing. And so I would say that it would do us all a lot of good if we would take the same admonition as if it was doctrinally, specifically written to us and say, hey, we have the same problem, and so we need to seek for the same solution. I believe that faith and the doctrine of faith is that basic fundamental solution that would help all of us get our life back on track. And so number one here this morning, I'd like to talk to you about the definition of faith. Faith is something that it, the word is nothing new to anyone here today. In fact, in the, the cultural climate, in our geographical area, people talk about faith. And you know, I, I will say this, that the word faith has been somewhat misused in modern culture. In fact, there are a lot of religious people that you say, are you a Christian? No, 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 I'm not a Christian, but but I'm a man of faith. There are many, many people that would say, yeah, I'm a person of faith, but the fact of the matter is, is what they mean by that is not the same that I would mean. Yeah, I'm a man of faith, faith in Jesus Christ, amen? Faith in the Word of God. And so there are many, many people that claim to be people of faith, but 
when you boil down their life, what is their faith being placed in? You know, you can have a tiny bit of faith in a strong object and you're going to be okay. But a huge amount of faith in a weak object, you're not going to be okay. You know, you take all of your money, you take and cash in all of your retirement, all of your investments, and you can have all the faith in the world that if I put all of my resources in this one particular bank, in this one particular investment, you can put it all in that and you can just say, hey, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that my money is going to quadruple in three weeks. That's a lot of faith, amen? You can do that. And more than likely, you all, we all know you're probably going to lose your shirt and then some. Because it is not the amount of faith that makes you safe. It is the object of that faith. Listen, you can put all of your resources in a strong bank and a strong investment, and you can have just a little bit of faith. It's like, oh man, I don't want to do this. I'm struggling. I mean, you can go back and forth before you sign the depositor slip and you can just go, man, I don't, I don't know about this. And just, just barely, barely have enough faith to just go ahead and sign it. And you know what? If that bank or if that investment is strong, then you're going to be okay. You're not going to lose anything because it is the bank or the investment that's taking care of that. It's the same way with our faith in God. It's not the amount of our faith that gets us to heaven. It is our God and His strength that's going to get us saved and get us into glory. So we need to know the definition of faith. We read it in verse number 1, or at least this is a partial definition. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, Faith is is just simply, faith is not something that you just imagine it to be. It is substance. It's real. Listen, I have never seen heaven, but I believe that heaven is just as real as this front pew is right in front of me. I believe that heaven, I've never touched heaven, but I believe that heaven is more real than this pulpit that I can touch. I can feel it. I can smell it. I mean, it's right here, and it's in this physical realm. But heaven is even more real, and I've never seen it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Take your Bibles, hold your... uh, Well, you just go to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. And look with me, and, and entire Romans 4 is about Abraham, the father of faith. You know, if you want to learn something about faith, then you should study the life of Abraham. And, and you know, we, we got some interesting uh, statements here in Romans chapter number 4. I'll comment on here in just a moment. Verse number 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. You know, you think about that. God calls things that are not as if they are. You know that God, God 
completely understands and knows eternity past and eternity future? I, I can't, you and I cannot fathom that. We only know time. We only know space. We only know the present and the past. The future is unseen, but everything in our life is measurable, but not with God. And God can look, and you know, when God gives us prophecies of the Word of God, He doesn't just throw something out of the blue and then try to manipulate its fulfillment. No, He doesn't do that. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and He calls it as if it is, even though it hasn't even happened yet. That's, that's what faith is. That's why we read in Hebrews 11, by faith, that God framed the worlds. He made them out of nothing. And that was all out of faith. Verse number 18, speaking of Abraham once again, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was 90, by the way. And so God had promised Abraham that he's going to have a son by Sarah. Now, I realize that their lifespans were a little bit longer than ours today, but still 100 for a man and 90 for a woman. This was long past the time of life when they should be bearing children. Long past. Verse number 20, this is the interesting thing I I mentioned just a few minutes ago. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, this is, you talk about an amazing, merciful God. If you've read the story in the life of Abraham, you know, there were a couple times where it sure does look from our standpoint that Abraham stumbled a little bit. I mean, he, he, Ishmael, that sounds kind of like a lapse in faith. The time that Abraham laughed when God said, you're going to give us, have a son in your old age, and so forth. There, You can find seven distinct places where it appears that Abraham had a lapse of faith. You say, well, then why does God say that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief? I think I know the answer to that. He recovered. He recovered. A just man falleth seven times and riseth again, Proverbs says. Listen, you may have a faith failure today. You may stumble today, but get back up. Get back up. Aren't you glad that God doesn't classify us or judge us on our weakest moment? Listen, I have bad days and you have bad days. God knows that, but thank the Lord, the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. I told one of our young people just a couple of weeks ago, I said, listen, I said, my sermons are full of God's mercy because God's mercy endureth forever. That was after I preached really, really long, but anyhow. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Watch this, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Listen, right there is an additional definition of faith, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. 
Listen, if, you're, if you think that getting to heaven is going to be by your faith, you're going to fail. But let me tell you something. Faith in God, God is never, ever going to fail. And if God promised it, He's fully able to perform it. You might as well just take it to the bank. You might as well just rest and be assured, have confidence in God. Faith is complete confidence that a person or thing will function according to promise. Now, we often say when we're defining words in the Bible, we talk about the law of first mention. Brother Glenn referred to it last week. The law of first mention. It's very interesting that the very first mention of the word faith in the Word of God is found in Deuteronomy 32. And it's the song of Moses. And Moses in this song is chronicling the children of Israel. And he's talking about not their example of faith, but rather their example of the lack of faith. I mean, you talk about a people who were stiff-necked and stubborn and always doubting and questioning God and God's man. And he said in Deuteronomy 32.20, And he said, I will hide my face from them. This is God speaking through Moses in this song. I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. You know, you ought to study the children of Israel from the time that God brought them out of Egypt, the time that they were saved and they passed over the Red Sea. You ought to just look at all of their behavior, all of their attitude, all of their life, and just say, if I want to live a life of faith, I need to just do the opposite of what they did. Because God said they were children in whom was no faith. You talk about the mercy of God when Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. I'm telling you what. The children of Israel, they ought to be very, very thankful for Abraham because it was Abraham's faith that got them God's blessings. It certainly wasn't their faith because they had none. And so we see there a definition of faith. And secondly, I'd like to talk this morning on the benefits of faith. Faith brings God's promises and power into our life. We don't have time here this morning, but if you were to read the entire Hebrews chapter number 11, we find case after case, man and woman who had faith in God, that because of that faith, it brought God's power and God's blessings. And you know what? Many of these were very imperfect people. You find Samson in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter number 11, Samson was Samson was a mess spiritually. He was a mess morally. But if you took all of his faults and failures and sins out of the way, you find that down deep, he had a great faith in God. And that's why he was able to do what he, uh, what he did. Jacob, very similar. A lot of things about his character that you can find fault in, but down deep, Jacob had a faith in God that his brother didn't have. He had a desire for God's blessings, and that's exactly what faith is all about. 
believing in God and believing that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith in Christ brings salvation. And God's, listen to this, faith in Christ brings salvation and God's imputed righteousness. Romans chapter 3, I want you to look at this real closely here. Verse number 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Notice that uh, Paul is telling us about the righteousness of God, not our personal righteousness. You know, Isaiah says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our righteousnesses are nothing. I mean, when somebody says, well, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, they don't know what God's Word says. There is none good, no, not one. The best that we can be in the eyes of God is filthy, stinking rags. So if you want to get to heaven, then you better have God's righteousness. And that righteousness can only be imputed unto you. God has to take His righteousness and put it on your account. You know, that's the entire gospel message. Jesus Christ became sin for us on Calvary's cross. He took all of our sins and all of our unrighteousness was placed upon Jesus Christ. Jesus was sinless and perfect. And when we get born again, God takes all of Christ's righteousness and He puts it on our account. Why would anybody not want to get saved? You know, the gospel means good news. And is that not good news? That Christ would bear all of your sins and that He would give you His righteousness so that when the, when our Heavenly Father looks down upon us, He doesn't see us in all of our faults and failures and sins. He sees His righteousness which was manifest in His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse number 22 says, Even the righteousness of God which is by faith, watch this, by faith of Jesus Christ. My faith doesn't save me. Your faith doesn't save you. It is the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. You say, well, how did, how did Jesus exercise faith? Look, the whole, the whole gospel message of the cross was an exercise of Christ's faith. Listen, He was God manifest in the flesh. But don't think for a moment there on the, the, the cross and then the, the, all the events that led up to the cross. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and He prayed in an agony and His sweat became as great drops of blood and He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Listen, God manifest in the flesh, His deity was hidden from his eyes as the Son of Man was going through the redemptive act of the cross. Listen, he had to have faith that God. this is what God the Father wanted him to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus willingly went to the cross of Calvary, believing that his heavenly Father was going to resurrect him. In his humanity... Oh, he believed it. He knew it. But he didn't always feel it. 
Hey, does that not sound familiar, brother and sister in Christ? We know it, we believe it, but we don't always feel it. Hey, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. I know it, I believe it, but I don't always feel it. That's what faith is all about. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives the privilege of fellowship with God. I'll read it to you once again. Hebrews 11, verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You ever worked for someone that just seemed impossible to please? Have you ever had a relative? I know there are people that were married to someone. Maybe you're married to someone that just down deep you'd say, they are impossible to please. Now, you may just be whining. If you, you know, cut, cut your spouse a little bit of slack, they may not be as bad as you think that you are. You just may be worse than you think you are. <laughs> but we've all been around people that we get frustrated. It's like, I don't know how to please them. Do you know that our God is not an unreasonable God? He's not difficult to please. The problem is, is we try to please him the same way that Cain did. By our performance, by the works of our hands. Cain offered of his garden and the fruits. Look what I raised and look what I did. But Abel, Abel just brought the blood sacrifice of that animal. And that's what pleased God. Because that blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Where did that life came, come from? It came from God. And the only sacrifice that's pleasing to God is what God created Himself. And that creation, if you want to call it that, is His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we put faith in what Christ did on Calvary's cross, it pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible There is no way that we can please God without faith. Now, before the fall, Adam didn't, he wasn't worried about pleasing God. He just walked with God. He was innocent. And God would come down in the garden and they would walk together. That's an amazing thing. But after the fall, all of a sudden now Adam is hiding from God and he's sowing fig leaves because his conscience, he, he sees that guilt. And you know what? When we look at our life based upon who we really and naturally are, there's gonna, we're naturally gonna hide from God because He's holy. But when we recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin, we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith in His blood. We can approach the throne of grace boldly knowing that we're not gonna get rejected. We're going to be received. We're going to be accepted because that is what pleases the Lord. The great benefits. I mean, we can talk about faith and prayer and getting all these things that you're asking for. But, you know, that's all based upon these fundamentals of faith. It all comes down to what pleases God. And it is faith, not just us having it, but what we place our faith in. That brings me to my last point here this morning, and I'd like to talk to you about the source of faith. We find in the scripture that faith, excuse me, I got ahead of myself here, that faith is a gift from the Father. 
in Romans 12, verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Listen, if you ever think that, if you ever start thinking that you're a, a way better Christian than others around you, and, and I understand there are different quantities of faith. But in some ways, God distributes a different amount of faith. We'll talk more about that next week. But God doesn't give each and every one of us the same measure of faith. You know, I, I, I read, I'm sure many of you have read or heard about George Mueller, the great man of God in Germany who had the, the great orphanage and the faith. I mean, they said, they said that the local grocers, when they would deliver their groceries, they made it a point not to go buy Mueller's orphanage because they knew their truck would break down. Not their truck, their, they knew something bad was going to happen. It's going to break down and then they're going to have to give all of their groceries to the orphanage. Mueller never asked for anything. He would pray and God did miracle after miracle after miracle and provided those needs. Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow the example of faith, but listen, if, if you try to live your life exactly like George Mueller did, you better make sure that God has given you the faith to do it. Because if you're just trying to imitate George Mueller's faith, then you're not going to, it's not going to get you what it got George Mueller, because now your faith is in George Mueller, not in God. God gives different measures to other men. Don't despise people with less faith than you. Don't be jealous of people with more faith than you. Take the faith that God has given you and grow it. It's not a competition. We're not supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves. But the, the source of faith, it certainly is a gift from the Father. We read in the Scripture that faith is perfected by the Son. In Hebrews 12, verse number 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's perfected. That's who we look to. You want your faith to grow? Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. We find in the Word of God that faith is administered by the Spirit. We could certainly say a lot about this this morning, but I just want to give you one example. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 to another faith by the same Spirit. He's talking about spiritual gifts. One of those is faith. Romans 12 says the same thing, that God gives faith by the Holy Spirit. Galatians also has a testimony to this truth. So faith, is the source of faith, it all comes from God, but then there's a human side of faith. And, and this is where... I believe that, I don't, I don't know what to, to call it other than just the, the Calvinist. The Calvinist, Reformed theologian, it doesn't matter what you label it, but people who believe that God predestines some people to salvation and others to damnation, 
regardless of what you call it, people who are of that viewpoint, they don't recognize in the Scripture that there is a human side of faith. Now listen, as we've seen already, human faith cannot save you. But it can act upon the faith of God, and that is, the you know, when you think about it, Adam was perfect in the garden, was he not? There, there was no sin. There, wasn't, there was no sin around him. It was a perfect environment. There was no sin in him. He had no sin nature whatsoever. And so just as man after the fall is depraved, man before the fall was holy, was he not? And yet Adam still had a will. He still had volition and he had the ability to make a choice, and he did. He chose wrong. He chose sin. In the same way, since the fall, we are all evil. We are sinners. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the capacity to make a choice. That doesn't mean that we did anything good by choosing. It's when God presents something good, when he presents salvation and we act upon it with our will, we just simply made a choice. And guess what that is? That is faith. And that's what pleases God. How is God pleased by a faith that he, that was just a facade? We Listen, if, according to the Calvinist, if you chose salvation, then what satisfaction would that bring the Heavenly Father? See, that line of thinking, it, it totally just contorts our view of God, and it certainly twists the Scripture. So let me talk about the human side of faith. I didn't want, really want to get as far into that as I did. Let's talk about the will. God works in conjunction with our will. You say, well, I don't, I don't have enough faith to be saved. Yes, you do. Well, I don't have enough faith to walk with God. I don't have enough faith. Listen, you have all the faith that you need to do whatever God wants you to do. How do I know that? Because God said it. Romans 10, verse number 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You ought to read Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10 just makes Calvinism make no sense whatsoever. Listen, God's saying the word's nigh thee. It's in your mouth. If you want to choose Jesus Christ, you can choose Jesus Christ. And when you choose him with your will, guess what God will do? He'll give you the faith to be saved. But he's not going to force his will upon you or on anyone else. So you have the human side of faith of God working in conjunction with our will. And then we find the Word. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You want more faith? Then start listening to the Bible. Take it, take God at His Word. And then, of course, prayer in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. The Lord prayed for Simon's faith. 
We can pray for our faith to grow. We can pray for one another's faith to grow. Prayer, the Word of God, and the human will are certainly means by which we obtain faith. And then in conclusion, I want to talk to you just for the next few minutes on the exercise of faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Notice this phrase here in verse 17, from faith to faith. As I've studied that over the years, I I see a dual meaning here. First of all, Obviously, the context here, Paul's talking about preaching the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And so, in one aspect, Paul is saying we we have faith, and so we preach what we have to those who have no faith, and from our faith, they receive faith, and they get saved from faith to faith. That's the right, the right how the righteousness of God is revealed. But I also think that as a dual meaning that this refers to the journey or the process of faith in a believer. Wherever you're at today, wherever your faith is, you're here today and hopefully tomorrow our faith will grow and then the next day we'll grow a little bit more and our life becomes a process of living from faith to faith. For the just shall live by faith doesn't just mean that we get saved by faith, but it means that we're supposed to live our life. If you're the just, that means you're saved, then you and I are supposed to live by faith. The Lord Jesus spoke of our exercise of faith in botanical terms, uh, for the, you layman, garden terms, Okay. He spoke about it in garden terms. In Luke 17 and verse number 5, the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. How did the Lord respond? He didn't give them a seven-step process. He didn't say, okay, you need to do this. He didn't give them a checklist. He said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted into the sea, and it should obey you. A sycamore tree is a big tree. I've seen them. I know those of you that went to to Israel, you saw those sycamore trees, and they are huge trees. I mean, to to pluck those up by the root, I I mean, I, I could saw one down with a chainsaw, but I don't know about plucking them up by the root. Listen, I have a hard time just pulling weeds and getting the root. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Usually they break off, right? But can you imagine a huge tree to pluck that up and then plant it in the ocean? Uh, That's pretty miraculous, amen? And yet the Lord says, if you just had enough faith, just like a grain of mustard seed. Yeah, that mustard seed is the tiniest of all seeds. And yet it can grow into a 20 
to 30-foot tree, 30 being the max, but 20, uh, they've seen mustard trees, 20, 25 feet tall, and they grow that tall in a relatively short period of time. They thrive in dry climates, uh, and they have roots. Listen to this. The mustard tree has roots that quickly seek water. I mean, those roots, they're really seeking water. They grow very rapidly. In fact, they say don't plant your mustard tree or your mustard bush near a septic system because it'll seek out that moisture and then it will be contaminated by that septic system. You know, we've got a lot of Christians today that are, they plant their life too close to the septic system. They need plenty of sunlight and they don't do well in cold climates. Is your faith failing? Maybe you need to get away from the septic system of the world. Maybe you need to try to get some sunlight in your heart, S-O-N, light. Is your heart become dry? Try watering it with the Word of God. And then, as you faithfully believe in God, doing what God would have you to do, be patient. Listen, gardening, God, when, when they said increase our faith, they're hoping that the Lord would just wave some magic wand and poof, they have more faith. The Lord says no. It's like a seed. What do you do with the seed for it to grow? You put it in good soil. You cultivate it. You give it the nutrients. You water it. You take care of it. You do all of those things. It doesn't grow overnight. It's not something that's magical. It takes time and be patient. Do the processes that God says and then be patient. Matthew 17, verse number 20, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I've seen some pretty massive amounts of land moved. There's a there's a place in Asheville near, near Tunnel Road, and they call it the open cut. It used to be that everybody had to go through the tunnel as they went through Asheville. And back in the, the late 70s, they began to remove a massive rock mountain and, and make a cut in it for the road to pass through. So instead of a tunnel or having to go all the way around, they were able to go through that. That was a massive amount of land that was moved. And I mean, you can see where they drilled down with rods, where they, the, they set dynamite and explosions and all kinds of massive amount of equipment. You know, you think about that. I don't know how many years it took them to, to, to make that passageway. I'm sure it probably took five, six years or more. I'm sure that it was a lot like the construction project on I-40 and I-77 around here. It took a long time. And then some. Are they ever going to get finished? I don't know. Maybe. By the time they get finished, we will have outgrown it, and they'll have to start widening the lanes. Who knows? That's 
just seems like the way that it is. But Jesus said, if we had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, we'd be able to remove a mountain into the ocean. Sounds miraculous. In our mind, sometimes we think about this mountain all of a sudden being removed, turned upside down, and dunked in the ocean. That's not what the Lord's talking about. Faith, a lot of times we think that faith is jumping off the cliff. And, okay, I'm going to jump off the cliff and I'm going to trust God to catch me. That's not biblical faith. That's biblical foolishness. If you were, Satan tempted Jesus to do the same thing, did he not? Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He said, it's written. You know what Jesus understood? He had enough faith in God that he knew that God was going to set him on the throne of his father David and he was going to rule and reign for a thousand years. But Jesus was able to look past that and he recognized that, hey, this is not something that I get on my own. I just trust God and you know what? It's going to happen someday. In the same way in our life, we want the answer now. We want the help now. And we've got to recognize that mountains, we don't move them and put them into the ocean all at one movement. Sometimes God says, hey, if you'll trust me, we'll get this mountain into the ocean. And we say, God, how do you want me to get this mountain into the ocean? Uh, Where's my caterpillar? Where's my John Deere? God says, "I, I don't have that for you. Okay, well, well, where's my shovel and my wheelbarrow? And God says, I don't have that for you. Well, then what do you got, Lord? And God hands us a, a, a bucket. You know, so, you know the buckets and the little plastic shovels that the kids play with in the sand? Sometimes God says, here, just get started. And we think, that's impossible. There's no way. I couldn't, I couldn't even get one billionth of that mountain in my whole lifetime with this bucket and this shovel. God says, just trust me. That's what he told Abraham, who was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. Just trust me. And yeah, they struggled a little bit, but they landed on their feet and they did the right thing. And did God God not do what he promised that he would do? He'll do the same thing in our life. But we've got to exercise that faith and we've got to trust him and we've got to be patient. The Lord is faithful. Being faithful means that we can count. Listen, if you're a faithful believer, you can be counted on today and tomorrow and next year and 10 years down the road. Why? Because you're faithful. See how those terms just work together? Listen, when we talk about exercising your faith, and I'll close with this, we all know that our muscles will atrophy if we don't work them. I remember when I broke my ankle playing hockey. First first season I ever played, uh, it was roller hockey. Guy slammed me into the wall. Just spiral broke my fibula on my right foot, my right leg. And literally when, when I went down to the floor, I looked down and my skate is going at a right angle to my, to my leg. And so I knew that that couldn't be good. So I kind of rolled over and the weight of the skate flopped it back and, you know, I, it was bad. I, I, I groaned. I didn't cry. 
and I didn't wet my pants, <laughs> but I thought that one or the other was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it, it was not pleasant. Brother Glenn, he busted up his ankle playing hockey, and so he knows a little bit about what it feels like. Anyhow, after about four weeks of that cast, they took and they put a screw in my ankle joint, and then they put a cast for the the broken bone to heal. But because of that screw that was in my ankle joint, literally, it totally stabilized that joint to where it, it couldn't move. And if you don't move that joint, then there's no way to even cause a muscle contraction on your calf. No muscle contraction whatsoever. And just four weeks into that, they cut that cast off, and I looked down, and I said, what happened to my calf? I mean, it was literally gone. And four weeks, total muscle atrophy. Brothers and sisters, if we don't exercise our faith, then it's going to shrink. We've got to work the faith that God has given us. You may not be like the muscle guy and you, listen, you know that most of the people today that get all bulked up, they, they couldn't do it without steroids. You know, there are not, not, people think, these young people think that, oh, if I just work the gym, then I can be massive, I can be huge. Not everybody can. Most people don't realize that. There are some people that are born naturally stronger than others. It's just the way that God created them. And the same way in the Christian life, Not every Christian is going to have the same faith or the same amount of faith. But we can all exercise the faith that God's given us because, after all, that's what pleases the Lord. We don't have to compete with others. We just have to keep our eyes on the Lord and have a desire to please Him. Are you exercising your faith today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful. I pray and hope that um, the doctrine that we've taken a look at here today has enlightened and instructed and helped by way of our understanding. And I pray that you would help us to be people of faith, trusting you, believing you. Lord, we live in a day and age where it just seems like there's very little faith. I'm reminded of what you said, Lord Jesus, when... When you return, will you find faith on this earth? May it never be said of us. Help us to grow and exercise our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'd like to give you a few moments here to talk to the Lord. Faith is being fully persuaded that God's going to do what he said that he would do. Maybe you need to take a step of faith in your life. Maybe you've just been walking by sight, been putting a little bubble around yourself, trying to protect yourself. I'm not talking about jumping off a cliff. We're talking about just growing, exercising. Not doubting God, but trusting God. Maybe there's something that you know that you ought to be doing, 
but you failed so many times in the past that you just don't even want to you don't even want to think about it you don't even want to try again all of our failures are faith failures you know what that means that means that all of our failures we can recover from because God is faithful Amen. Good to see everyone this morning. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to ask Brother W.B. Sharp to close us in a word of prayer. Now, I'm not going to be able to go out in the foyer today and say hi to everyone, but I did park over here on the side, and so uh, if you'd like an opportunity to say hi, then uh, just uh, head out the parking lot this way. I certainly will look forward to um, to seeing you outside there and... Uh, Anyhow, look forward to seeing you tonight at 6 o'clock, and uh, I don't remember kids' choir. No kids' choir tonight, and so hopefully we'll get back on track here real soon, get everybody healthy, and um, so please remember that. Brother Sharp, if you would, close us in prayer.